Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share for Gretchen T. was recorded on October 27th, 2022. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's it's great to be here. It's really um, the process of, of doing this and then um, sharing a week ago, and I thought, oh, my God, I shared. Now I've got nothing to say. What am I going to, you know, like, what am I going to say at the second sharing? And um, this program is so amazing because today's affirmation in the Strengthening My Recovery was something that I want to share with you afterwards. So it was like, okay, I do have other things to share. Um I'm going to start very small amount with with who I am and how I got here because I came into the program thinking that I wasn't, you know, that I wasn't, I didn't belong in ACA. I I I didn't think of myself as being, um, you know, one one who was abused or neglected. And, uh, and yet I am an extreme codependent and all of the laundry traits, laundry list traits were mine. So I, I began, I began in Al-Anon when my son hit bottom and uh, someone asked me recently, you know, what was the first, who was the first person that you lost that you, you, I don't remember how they put it, that you died with or that you, you felt that. And the first person for me was my son. And he isn't dead. He's mentally ill. And when he started his, his decline and his, um, his life, became what it is now, it was the first time I ever experienced that, that heartbreaking pain. It, the first time. And I've had people I love die. And I've had people that, you know, meant the world to me die, but they weren't a part, a piece of that heart. And I have come to realize that my three children, my five grandchildren, and my sister hold those pieces of my heart. That's not to say that I don't love many people all around me, but they are my rocks. They're the people that I lived for. They're the people that validated me. That and um, and it it was at that point when I hit bottom and I had been going to Al-Anon and then I started going to ACA live meetings, you know, once a week. And um, those meetings brought me to the realization that I have a higher power 
And I, I welcomed that higher power because it alleviated some of that ache, that pain from losing that wonderful person that I love so much who was now not there. And I, it gave me, it gave me the ability to say, you know, it's, it's not, it's not in your power to do, you can't fix this. And that was the beginning of, of this whole journey for me. Um, And when COVID hit and I was able to go to six meetings a week, the program opened up for me and my recovery became more and more real. But let me go back. I am the oldest of four children. I am um, my, both my parents were alcoholics. Both my grandfathers were alcoholics. Both of my grandmothers were perfectionistic, hypervigilant, controlling, um, that never drank, to my knowledge. I never saw them drink. And my parents were social alcoholics for many years. Uh, My father was in the Army. He was a West Point graduate. And, you know, I never remembered not going, uh, going hungry or not being um, clothed. I never remembered any thing at all until I was seven years old. I don't remember my mother's face. I don't remember having her read us stories. I don't remember anything at all about her until she brought my sister home when I was seven. And she was in the bedroom and there was the bassinet and then there was my mother behind her. And that's the first. And I'm not, I mean, I have tons, we have tons of pictures, you know, and I, um, until that moment, I don't remember my youngest brother, my, my 18 month year, 18 month younger brother. I remember parts, you know, drips and drabs, but the the five year younger brother, I don't remember at all until that seventh birthday when my daughter, when my sister came home. So um, that for some reason gave me an identity, I guess, which I didn't have before that. And she continues to be a part of that heart that's um, saved just for those people. Anyway, I all my life blamed my mother for the dysfunction in my family. My mother was a nasty drunk, didn't drink all the time, but when she did, she was a nasty drunk. And my father was an affectionate, loving drunk because he couldn't show any affection unless he was drunk. And then he became that person that everybody loves to be around when they're drunk. So he was my idol. He was, you know, he was the person I I could relate to. And I I enjoyed being around him. And the dysfunction becomes more and more obvious to me now because like he picked us up from the movie theater and was driving me and two friends home. And he was looking and talking to us in the backseat and drove over someone's lawn. He left me at the movie theater another time. 
I don't know, seemed like hours. It was probably not because he got drunk and he forgot that he was supposed to pick me up at the movie theater. So these things I, I didn't realize. And he was an army officer and he left for 12, 14 month periods. And that was before phones that we didn't have phones to call. And I didn't get a letter every month or I didn't have any contact with him. And when he left, my mother would fall apart. So it was a kind of, um, I didn't blame him. I blamed her the whole time until I realized I did a list not too long ago about who had abandoned me. And the top of the list was my father and then my mother. And then surprisingly, my children, because my children had been such an important part. And then when they got married, they abandoned me. They didn't really, but it took me such a long time to, to get over that. You know, I'm not that important, that all important person anymore in their lives. So one other item that is most important in my upbringing is that I have two brothers with schizophrenia. One was paranoid schizophrenic. And he started um, at about three or four um, with, with some behaviors that were odd. And he kept running into walls or things and getting concussions. And by the age of 16, he became hospitalized, medicated, uh, institutionalized, in and out. Finally, um, he was able to live in a, in a, in a loose home where they medicated him and he could go and buy coffee and smoke his cigarettes. And it was quite torturous watching. Um, that's another thing, someone that I couldn't do anything to help. Can't You can't do anything for someone you love. And I'm grateful now that I have my higher power and I can say I couldn't do anything about it. It wasn't in my power. So my father went to Vietnam. It was a disaster. It was a year of hell. And he came back and after about a year and a half, he decided, they decided that the marriage was over and, and he left again. I had my senior year in high school, a mental, a mental collapse, if you will. I didn't go to school. I, I, I just wanted to do nothing. I had a complete emotional breakdown and nothing mattered to me. So they sent me to a psychiatrist and my mother drove me surprisingly, let, you know, waited for me to come out an hour later and took me home. And I don't remember anything about what we talked about in nine months of weekly therapy. 
until the day when the therapist said to me or the psychiatrist, and he was a man, I don't remember his face, but he was a man. And he said, it seems to me that you have this resentment for your mother, but haven't yet looked at the pain or the, the, the feelings you have towards your father. And that was the first um, realization that, that he was neglectful and couldn't be trusted because, to, to be there. So these, these, this dysfunction, if you will, is the validates or allows me now to realize that I was a false person. I had to, I had to pretend and enable and people please and manipulate. And that's what I did. And I did it really well. I manipulated the person I wanted to marry because I I felt that was what would be best for me and my children when I had children. I had no children, but I had it all planned. It was all perfectly planned. And when I look back at my behavior going forward from there, I believed that I was a perfect mother. I never neglected my children. I was always there for them. I taught them how to lie. I taught them how to use their laundry treats. And I taught them how to exist in a marriage that had, I gave them a father who was a narcissist. And I enabled the gaslighting. I enabled, and I would say, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's just your father. I mean, like, whatever it's like, like whatever he's not beating. Us. I never said this, he's not beating us, but that was kind of the triangulation that, that I was in the middle of. I wanted everyone around me to think that I was in a great space, all my neighbors, I, you know, I was on the PTA, the head of the PTA. I did everything for everybody. You know, I was just perfect to what appeared to, I, to who I wanted to appear perfect to everyone around me. And I thought that I was doing it, doing it right. I was there. I remember 15 years into the marriage, thinking, I, I, I can't leave. I'm not good enough. I can't make money. I, how, what am I going to do with three children? Where am I going to go? How am I going to? And I, I just stayed and I enabled and I allowed. And then I got a job when my youngest went to kindergarten and I, I had to go to college, take classes for this job. And they paid for six credits a semester. And I got 4.0 the whole way because I wouldn't settle for anything less. And the more credits I got, the more money I made. And so, although my ex didn't want this happening, he couldn't say no. And the insurance that I had for my job was our health insurance. 
But it took me from like 1998 to 2005 to finish. That's not true. I think it was like 2007. And I began to feel that I was worthy, that I was capable, that I could do this, that I I had value. Um, and I became aware of the fact that I I needed something else in my life. I needed to not lie. I needed to find the real me. I needed to be, I needed to be good to myself. I needed to, I needed to have someone in my life who was there for me that I could ask something of and get a response to. So I waited for my youngest to finish college. And I made the decision to end the marriage after 33 years. People were like, you've done it 33 years. Why not just continue doing it? Or why are you leaving now? And honestly, I think. I realized that that person wasn't me. I I had a really big awakening when I was in the middle of church and services and things. And, and I was, you know, like top dog in the church. And I'm standing next to two women who I liked a lot. And I thought, and they were talking and I thought, and this was after my son had his crisis. And I was thinking, these people aren't important to me in my life. They're they're not, I'm pretending to be this person that they are talking to. It's not really me. So I was able to leave circumstances made it so. My children were were, uh, changed in different ways. My youngest, who had been very attached to me, wouldn't, would really, really wouldn't have anything to do with me for three years or so. I mean, when she had to talk to me or when we came in, she wouldn't kiss me. You know, it'd be like, I'd like lean in for a kiss and she'd kind of like this. And I would leave her and just like weep in the car driving home. And my son um, was was okay with it because he had been the brunt of a lot of the abuse, the emotional abuse from his father. So he was okay, but he was still, I still couldn't keep him from getting ill. And my middle daughter has the best of the traits. 
And so she was existing quite nicely with her control in it, controlling, perfectionistic, people-pleasing, enabling. I can say now that both of my daughters have been in therapy for eight, nine years, and it's saved um, it saved our relationship. And they, they, um, as I said, remember when I said they abandoned me? It, so when the first one, the older one got married and she moved out, she had moved out. She'd been moving. She'd been living with her, her fiance for three years. But when she got married and they moved, they were now, they were now this unit. And I'm mom over here. These are normal things, but it really, really affected me. I, I Now I'm without an identity. This is like, I was mom and now I'm not mom. I'm this, I'm like, here's the unit and I'm out of the unit. And then my other daughter got married and the same thing. I thought it would be easier, but no, here's her, here's her unit. You know, they got married. They had, the, everything was... And here was mom. I now know that these are, this is the normal road. This is the normal path that people take. But I was an adult child. I am an adult child, but I was not in recovery. So I started to see certain behaviors of mine. And I have to say that my sister, one time, she used to say in gentle ways, because my sister has far more recovery than I do. And she would say, you know, Gretchen, that's kind of codependent. And I would say, what the fuck's wrong with being codependent? I'm helping people out. I'm being nice. I mean, really, what's the problem? And, and she'd be like, I'm just saying, you're right. I'm just like, sh I'm just trying to like show you how that's kind of codependent. And then the realization that I do things that are irrational and I don't know why. And I, I've said this if if I if I give myself to somebody, if I say, you know, would you like something? I'm, you know, would you I'm doing something nice for you? And they step on that in any way. I have a line that I won't cross afterwards. And it's like it's very irrational. And even now I've caught myself doing it. So it's like. For instance, I'll tell you the story. I have this huge pepper plant that I grew that's got uh, very hot peppers on it that nobody eats except for my brother. He loves these peppers. So when I was going to New York to stay with my daughter last year, I said to him, would you like to water the plant occasionally? And then you can harvest all the peppers. I was being really, I thought, very nice. And he said, why should I bother? I'll just buy them at the store. And I said, don't ever ask me for one of my fucking peppers ever. They're done. You're done. You cannot have any peppers ever. 
And I kept that line for a year, realizing that it's it's not normal behavior. That where did that come from? I don't know. Somewhere growing up, somehow, I was nice to somebody and they stepped on it and I drew a line. I did it with my ex. I used to draw a line. I never said anything. I was passive aggressive. I was, I was uh, manipulating. I was, I was, you know, conniving. I fixed things in different ways, but it was because of that. If I drew the line, forget about it. So I had to look at that behavior and I had to, I had to realize that that's not normal behavior. It's not the behavior of someone who is not an adult child. Just little things like that going um, in my life, the, the inability to not have all of the stuff in my head all the time which was which was a, a major factor in in how I reacted and how I how I dealt with things around me and simple things like I'm going to drive to the restaurant in a week to to meet people for dinner and I start Oh my God, where am I going to park? Are they going to, am I going to be early or late? What should I wear? Is the clothing that I'm wearing going to be appropriate? Are people going to say, oh, why is she wearing that? Or why doesn't she wear this? And then, and it just goes on for days and days. And then I, I, I pick out an outfit that I feel is not going to be either too outrageous or too mundane. And then I get in the car and I drive to the place and I find the parking boom right away. And I walk in, everything goes well and everything's perfect. Same thing happens the next time something comes up on and on about things that were never important or are not, are easily fixable or, or, and, and yet I couldn't I couldn't let it go. So now when I take those behaviors, oh, and I might add, I really, I really do need a therapist. I've had three therapists and I've manipulated them to death. They, they, I, they validated me. I was right. Everybody was wrong because I lied to them. I lied. So thank God for this program because I have been able to look at myself and it's always all about me, always. It's about my fear of abandonment. It's about my lack of, of, of intimacy. I can't, val- I can't um, be vulnerable because I'm afraid. So if I look at all of these behaviors and and this last three years, and, and, and I have to thank the fact that I found my higher power in the beginning, and I'm going to tell you right now, it works. It works. 
the higher power is my loving parent. It's the, it's the thing that I know will always be there for me. And I want you to know this, this, these realizations came fairly recently and it's been, uh, it's been like a life changer. So when I started with my higher power, my higher power saved me from the pain of my son, of losing my son. I still drive by his yoga studio and cry. If I think about going out to dinner and and when he was here, we would go together. Three of us, my brother who's been living with me for quite a few years, my other brother. And I, I was so grateful and I would drive. And my sister who said to me, the best thing she ever said to me was, I mean, when I was, like in the depths of my pain. And she said, Gretchen, he has his own higher power. It's his road. It's his journey. This is what's supposed to be for him. As painful as it is, as, as you know, this is his higher power. And that, that was such a gift, such a gift. So, I I went and stayed with my daughter and her three kids to help her out for a few months. And I realized, I said to my sister, I said, I can't take this controlling anymore. And she said, whose, yours or hers? And, and I was like, uh, you're right. It's, it's like, okay, you know, like, it's her house. Why do I, ha- I mean, I'm not in control. Well, I'm not in control of her or her kids or anything. I'm not. not. It was like such a weight lifted off of me. And here's an example. She didn't buy organic strawberries one day. I'm like a fucking nut about organic. She brought the strawberries home. And I'm like all in my head. Sure. They're going to die from cancer because you didn't buy, you didn't want to spend $5 more to buy me in my head. And when I finally realized that they have their own road, their own higher power and their own journey, again, it was like, wow, I'm not going to be here in 30 years anyway. And I can't do anything because it's not in my control. It's their journey. And that was such, such a, again, another godsend. These little things that, that kept happening and, and listening to people share and, and being aware and seeing the recovery in so many people that I see week in and week out, it's, it's, so now the final puzzle piece in the higher power thing. My great nephew was hit by a car three weeks ago, brain damage. He lived, didn't lose his eye. 
And when I found out, I immediately knew that this was his journey. His higher power was in charge. And not only that, I have to know that that his accident changes my journey and everyone who's touched him. So now my journey is not the same as it was the minute before he got hit. It's now different. I can choose to take it. I can can embrace it. And this is why I'm saying tonight, it's all about the higher power. It doesn't come easily. And it takes it, you know, like they're like, give it up, you know, like give it over. I'm like, yeah, sure. All the time. Oh, yeah. uh Uh-huh. And I can only say that knowing that one, my higher, my higher power, I I had this fear of death and it wasn't like I'm going to die horribly. No. If I'm going to die and I'm going to leave everything in in disarray and nothing's going to be organized and it's not going to be the way I wanted it to be. I'd get on an airplane and I'd be like, just please don't let this be, you know, the one that goes down. I'm not ready to die. That was, I don't know, four or five years ago. And the last time I got on the plane... I was like, if it's my time to go, this is where it's going to be. It's not in my control or my power. So now I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of dying because it's not in my control. And I have to say, I cannot... I cannot tell you, and it's only been a few weeks that it it really became a part of me. And I am just grateful that I can see it. It's, trust me, and I said last week, I'm going to die in an ACA meeting, and I mean it. This is, I'm never going to be done with ACA. Ever. And I did the, did the, I've been, I've been working the steps for three years. And, you know, we're like on step four, paragraph at a time. And I did the Cliff Notes version of the step work because I said, I need to know what goes on in the other steps. What is going to be my 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 job, if you will. What am I going to have to do? So I did a like I think twenty six week, you know, ninety pages a week reading, answering on the things. I got to spend valuable hours with my sponsor, and and she is a gift to me, and and it was great. And guess what? I'm st- I started them again with my sponsor. I'm still in the group four and I'm going to do them as many times as necessary because every time I read something in the book that I've read 75 times before, it means something now. 
it's it's an important moment. It's like, oh, I never thought of that. Or when somebody shares something, and I have to say, last week in this meeting, one of my fellow travelers shared, and I've always said, I can't control what will happen to anyone else. It's always been one of my favorite sayings. And in this meeting last week, a dear fellow traveler said, I can't control what will happen to my life. And I thought, wow, that's what it's all about, realizing that. And that's, it was such a such an aha moment. And it's not exactly, she said it a little differently, but I couldn't find where I wrote the exact words down. So recovery is slow. And, and everybody has recovery at a different pace. And I personally don't believe people should rush into step work until they've, they've, they've been in the program and been to some meetings and, and had, you know, some fellowship. And that's, that's my personal belief. I believe in listening to shares and to sharing. Sharing's another thing. Sharing in the beginning, I was like, oh, I got to, you know, what am I going to say? How's it going to sound? Is everybody going to like it? Oh, is it going to be good? And then I'd share and I'd be like, gee, I think everybody liked that, you know, and that's the people pleasing, uh, you know, brain that I have lived my whole life with. Now I can pop that hand up or whatever and just say, spit whatever comes out of my mouth. And not have to worry about whether anybody likes it or not. But everybody does, because this is the room with people who um, are alike. And, and, it, and it's just so perfect. I used to, I used to do service, kind of like being the, the, the head of the PTA. It was like, how does this look to everybody? Everybody's saying, oh, Gretchen's so great. Look at her. She's like the head of the PTA. She's got three kids. She's very together. That's kind of the way I went into doing service in my third meeting. It was like, oh, uh, everybody's going to be saying, you know, how great is Gretchen? Of course, I screwed up two or three times. I have said I have closed more meeting without the serenity prayer than probably any other um, ACA. And it's okay. Nobody cares. They didn't care. It was like, wait, they don't care. They don't care if I screw up. What a relief. So all I can say is it's a gift. And and we're ready at different times for it. And it'll come at different times. Um, Another thing I really wanted to say today, this is like really ironic, of course. Every day, I so today's reading was trait 12. And it starts off, I'm going to read it for a second. We are dependent personalities who are terrified of abandonment and will do anything to hold on to a relationship. By the way, this is what I'm reading from. This is a book that I, I would hope everybody would get eventually, whenever. It's a wonderful book. Um, will do anything to hold on to a relationship in order not to experience painful abandonment feelings, which we received from living with sick people who were never there emotionally for us. That's, that's my whole life. 
But the thing that so much meant to me is, listen to this, in the red, from the pages that this comes from, it says, and this is on page 18 of the Big Red Book, chapter one. It says, adult children are dependent personalities who view abuse and inappropriate behavior as normal. Or if they complain about the abuse, they feel powerless to do anything about it. Without help, adult children confuse love and pity and pick partners they can pity and rescue. They pay, the payoff is a feeling of being needed or avoiding feeling alone for another day. Such relationships create reactors who feel powerless to change their situation. They freely use the 14 traits of an adult child to negotiate for crumbs of attention. Others use the traits to create smothering over-dependence by their partners. Until they finally recover, they lack the language and support needed to recognize the problem. A proven solution awaits in ACA. And then at the bottom of the page, today's affirmation. Well, not at the bottom. Okay. I'm going to, I have time. The, the affirmation states, we held on to relationships that died years ago. We were ashamed that we couldn't stand up for ourselves, but we told ourselves that at least we had somebody. It was a roller coaster. Things got worse than better than even worse than before. We were going deeper and deeper down the never ending hole with no light and we were running out of time. Today, we breathe the crisp, cool air of discovery in the sunlight of ACA. We choose to be honest with ourselves. That's what I never was until now, honest with myself. And others, because it's become a habit for us, one that was born out of our step work and calm commitment to the program that guides us through the once dark regions of our lives. We hide from no one. Think about that. We hide from no one. That's absolutely amazing. We are alive, whole, and sane, and we like it. If someone wants to leave our life, we let them go. In ACA, we've learned we cannot do for others what they will not do for themselves. When we let things die, there's room for more love and new growth. We celebrate the old and the new, seeing their connection to our spiritual health. On this day, I will do the work to heal my past and learn to focus on the healthy things I've begun to experience. I will let go and let my higher power in. So that's really, that sums it up. I, I, it's not easy to, to change and it can be very painful. 
But on the other side, hopefully, is your real self, your true self. Not that fake person that I lived with for, well, if I, 71 and I take away the three years and I'm still not there. So 71 years, that fake person that I made to get through life and, he, and, and it worked really well. I made it. I made it. I didn't die. Uh, I, I, I did a decent job. It was a fake person. I never had any dreams. I never had a passion because I wouldn't allow myself to. So my goal at the end of this is that I can know what I want and express what I need. And whether I get it or not isn't important anymore. I can't wait for other people to validate me or make my life real. I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to be anybody, anybody's crutch or tool or anything. I just want to be able to be peaceful and secure in who I am. And I'm not there yet. And you know what? I'm going to come back next year and it's going to be completely different. I'm going to have so much more that I will have experienced. And and I know that now. And that's what makes this such a gift. And I can also say that sharing helped me in such a way that I never thought was possible. Uh, the act of, of, of thinking about what I needed to say has helped my recovery tremendously, tremendously. So uh, on that, I will say good night and um, thank you for listening. And I'm so happy that I was here tonight and that you all are here. I'm so happy. Thank you all.